1: right at home.
2: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code
1: ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Welcome to Dietetics After Dark, your source for food-related crime, scandal, and fraud. Hi, Becca.
0: Hi, Sarah. What are you up to? Oh, you know, just sitting here ready to record this podcast um, a little bit earlier. So just before we sat down, I picked up our first set of oh, yeah. merch.
2: Nice. That is
0: so exciting. does it look? Really good. Really good. They turned out a lot better than I thought they would,
2: considering I created them. Oh <laughs> That's awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah. What are you up to? I'm still kind of reeling from a conversation on Instagram with someone who uh, didn't believe in science, but...
0: (laughs) Yeah, you want to tell us a little bit more about that? No, I think that's enough.
2: (laughs) Okay, fair. (laughs) I don't want to go into details, but it takes a lot of energy trying to make people believe in science.
0: It does. And I feel like there's a point where it's like you have to evaluate, is it your responsibility to make Mm -hmm. people believe in science or is it your responsibility to... Like share what you know and essentially educate those who want to learn more.
2: For sure. I think that's that's a great message for to me to get right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall we dive right in? The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a registered dietitian in your area. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes, This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Okay, so you asked me to cover the topic of superfoods, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know is a super loaded topic. Yes, Yeah. good pun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... You honestly, like, really can't go to the grocery store anymore without seeing this term plastered everywhere. Uh, There are, of course, the quote-unquote superfoods themselves. There are superfood crackers, cereals, powders, and even those, you know, those sweet kill salad kits that you can buy? Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: Yes, I do. I know Mm -hmm. the exact one with the poppy seed dressing.
0: Yes, I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Well, those apparently have seven superfoods in them. So essentially it's counting everything but the dressing ingredients. Cool. Okay. Loaded. Yes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But (laughs) if I were to ask you to define what a superfood is, what would you say? And this is like without having the knowledge that I know that you have.
2: Okay. So if I didn't know much about nutrition and I saw superfood, I would think that it's super nutrient dense, going to like supercharge my health and I should eat them.
0: Yes. That's good. Like it. Perfect. Okay. So Here's the definition according to a website called Live Science or Live Science. I'm going to go with live. Um, <laughs> superfoods are foods, mostly plant based, but also some fish and dairy, that are thought to be nutritionally dense and thus good for one's health. So, essentially, what you said. So, they're basically foods that have multiple health benefits. And examples of what are considered superfoods in the health food industry include things like kale, quinoa, acai berries, blueberries, avocados, and you know, the rest. <laughs> However, there are no set criteria for determining what is and what is not a superfood. So at this point, you might be wondering how the food industry can label things as such when technically anything can be called a superfood. Fun fact, the term superfood is actually a marketing term and is rarely, if ever, used by nutritional experts or food scientists. So with no criteria, there has been no credible research done on superfoods as a food group, since technically they're not a food group. Any food could be coined a superfood at any given moment, other than maybe something like refined sugar, although sugar too does contain an excellent source of glucose, which as we know from two episodes ago is the purest form of energy for humans. And I'd say that that's also pretty super. I'd say that's super too. (laughs) Tastes super. Definitely. Okay, so the first recorded use of the word superfood was during World War I in a poem published in a Jamaican newspaper. The poem was talking about wine and its mood altering effects, claiming that these superfoods enhance life.
2: Which I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's just really good. I like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> the term was first used in North America in 1949 by a Canadian. Oh, uh-huh. trendsetter. So an article was published in the Lethbridge Herald, which is a newspaper out of Alberta, describing a muffin as a superfood that contained all the known vitamins and some that had not yet been discovered. Okay. <laughs> That's a good claim. I thought yeah, I thought it was really cute. I tried to research what vitamins were discovered after 1949, but mm. I don't know if there were any. So, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, we can know. try
2: to fact check.
0: I did like a quick search, but it looked like most of them were prior to 1949. So we'll double check on that. Future editing Becca here. After a bit more digging online, it looks like I was right. The term vitamin was first coined in 1912 by Casimir Funk. The most recent vitamin was isolated in 1947, and that was vitamin B12. However, it is still possible that there are some vitamins that remain undiscovered, And perhaps this Lethbridge Herald author had some intel into the future of science. Anyways, the superfood diet of wine and muffins sounds absolutely (laughs) amazing to me. Sign me up. (laughs) Yes. Since the 20th century, many foreign fruits or ancient grains have been rebranded as superfoods once they hit the Western food markets. So this really is mainly a Western food trend. Mm -hmm. The term is actually banned on European products. I don't know if you knew that.
2: Oh, I did not know that. No. That's interesting.
0: I thought this was super interesting. But the European Food Safety Authority doesn't allow labels that cannot be scientifically proven on their packaging. So even if brands can prove that their products have some of these super foodie qualities, they can only state what the food does versus it being a superfood. So it would have to say something okay. like reduces blood sugar or whatever. Okay. In Western countries like Canada and the U.S., since there is no legal definition of superfood, any food can be a superfood if you're told that it is. Okay. So in my online search yesterday, I started reading into the ingredients of some prepackaged superfood products, and I found one green superfood powder that was literally made out of grass.
2: Okay. Okay. Yes. Which we can't digest. <laughs> no. So. But technically, it could be a
0: superfood. Mm-hmm. For cows. For cows, (laughs) yes. Yeah. (laughs) There were a bunch of claims highlighted in the product description with asterisk symbols next to them. And some of these claims included naturally helps to detoxify and Mm -hmm. balances acidic pH levels. Oh, big claims. Mm -hmm. So I scrolled down to where the asterisks were explained, and there was an actual disclaimer that read, these statements have not been evaluated by Health Canada or the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease. Okay. So they're essentially making false claims in these product descriptions then disclosing that these claims have not been proven, but at the very bottom of the page.
2: Okay. So if they're saying it balances pH but it doesn't, they don't claim to impact any diseases. I feel like if they were taken to court on their packaging, some of their claims would not hold up.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, it, it was just very suspicious. <laughs> totally. So I added it here just because I feel like it's, it's stuff like this that's kind of taking the consumer as a fool. Like, it, it's pretty shocking that this is even mm-hmm. legal to do this, where they can make claims with asterisks, and then the asterisk says that these claims aren't proven in any way. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yes. And then I just it down here, like, imagine if medication descriptions made claims like this.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a recipe for disaster. This will reduce your pain, asterisk. That's not. <laughs> not actually proven to reduce your pain. <laughs>
0: exactly. So I just wanted to add that in because I thought that that was really interesting, and it was all under the term of superfood. And I guess essentially what they're saying a superfood might mm-hmm. do, but it's not proven.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Yes, but I'm not saying all of this to discredit brands that do use the term superfood because many respectable brands do use it and other marketing terms and tactics to get their products into the hands of the consumer. Mm -hmm. And I personally think that if the term does continue to be used, I don't know what what your thoughts are on this, but I think a definition with set criteria should be developed. Mm -hmm. So something like a qualified superfood is x percentage high in x percentage of its nutrients
2: right that would make sense yeah or like because there are different like star rating systems for food so the ones that fit that like healthier food maybe lower in sodium lower mm-hmm. in sugar higher in fiber and then higher in vitamins and minerals could be labeled as superfood
0: yeah absolutely um, and then there was actually one paper that I stumbled upon that claimed that the term superfood is the marketing term for what medical and nutrition professionals call functional foods. hmm So while there's no legal definition for functional foods either, and mm-hmm. that's no definition set out by the FDA, um, almost all foods are considered functional foods. So they're quite literally foods that have some type of function.
1: So right. whether they okay. help
0: with digestion, reducing cholesterol, or they prevent yeah. free radical damage, they help lower healthcare costs in an aging population. So that's like the main descriptor. Okay.
2: okay. Mm-hmm. And that's regulated.
0: So it's not it's not a regulated term, but it is used in science. Like there are functional food textbooks and it's, it is used in research and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it, it's quite literally just defining any food that has some type of, of function. Function. Yeah. So just foods, you could just call them But it has to
2: be a function more than just like providing energy. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. But these like functional foods, like the functional food description, it's just not as like sexy or as exclusive sounding as these
2: exotic (laughs) superfoods. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally.
0: Okay, so while we're on this topic, I did want to mention a couple other marketing terms that are commonly used to promote consumer confusion, and um, one of which is the term natural.
2: hmm That's a doozy.
0: It is a doozy.
2: <laughs> and we've talked
0: a lot about, like, toxins and poisons that are produced in nature throughout mm-hmm. our last, like, couple episodes. And just because something is natural, it doesn't mean that it's good for you, and yep. things like cyanide. Botulism, cyanide, arsenic, yes. snake venom, mercury, yeah. anthrax. They're all mm-hmm. products of nature. Arsenic.
2: arsenic. Did you say arsenic?
0: I did. Cyanide, <laughs> <medicine? laughs> arsenic.
2: Okay. Just wanted to double down on arsenic. It's a big one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. And then the term multigrain is another one, which mm-hmm. I'm sure might shock some people because uh, multigrain, I feel like it does have a really healthy like connotation around it. Um, But multigrain means that there are many or multiple grains in a product, but it does Mm -hmm. not mean that any of them are whole grains. And whole grains are made up of the the bran, germ, and endosperm, the kernel, which contains a lot of the fiber, protein, and and B vitamins, so all the healthy stuff. The grains in a multigrain product might all be refined or stripped of a lot of their fiber and nutrients, but there's really no way of knowing with that, that title.
2: Yeah, I like that one. I feel like a lot of people don't know that.
0: I know. Even like when we started our nutrition degree, I didn't know that either. I thought that mm-hmm. choosing the multi grain bread was making a really good decision.
2: Yeah. Like making sure you were getting whole grains in the mm-hmm. multi grain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, whole grain, whole grain over multi grain if you're looking for nutrients mm-hmm. and fiber. Got to get that fiber. <laughs> okay. Detoxifying is another. And mm-hmm. this one yeah. drives me bonkers. Food isn't detoxifying. Your body detoxifies itself when you breathe, sweat, go to the bathroom, or just simply live, since your liver filters your blood. There's been no medical literature done on detox diets. In fact, many low calorie liquid diets or detox juice cleanses have been shown to decrease the body's basal metabolic rate, aka the metabolism.
2: Mm -hmm. And this is
0: to conserve the body's energy. So if you're consuming fewer calories your body makes up for it by lowering your metabolism yeah so some of these diets have uh may have the complete opposite effect than what they're intended to do
2: Mm -hmm. our bodies are smart they're really really smart
0: (laughs) okay and then lastly this is one of my personal favorites non-gmo yeah
2: what are your thoughts on non-gmos non-GMO, just labeling something as not being a GMO and GMOs are safe. So Mm -hmm. that's my thoughts. It's a useless label. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Um, And I'm not going to like get into this
0: too much because I I do feel like this would be a great episode topic. topic. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's a big one. It is a big one. But most of the foods that we eat have been modified to some degree, whether these modifications occurred through selective breeding or artificial selection. People have been altering the genetic makeup of food since the beginning of human existence. So many crops would be unable to withstand climate changes, and some simply wouldn't exist without modifications like this. And um, one example is actually broccoli wouldn't exist without selective breeding. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it was created by mixing... Wild cabbage varieties.
2: Oh, cool. Actually, I think I did know that in like some dusty corner of my brain, but <laughs> I <laughs> forgot about there. it. <laughs> um, and then
0: this one is my favorite. Okay. Purebred dogs. Aw. They wouldn't exist. They wouldn't exist. They're genetically modified organisms. Purebred dogs are GMOs. Yeah. Selective breeding, my friend. Cool. So the next time you go... Saying you don't like GMOs, just think about your think little labradoodle. dog. dog. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, to sum it up, I feel like terms like these, like superfood, they're a little bit deceiving in that they make other foods seem less than. Often it's the more affordable options like apples and bananas, I feel like, that are put into this less super category.
2: Totally. And they're still super. They are so And they're super. still food.
0: But yeah. One of the most common superfoods, as I'm sure you know, is the avocado.
2: Yes, it is. What a perfect segue (laughs) to my part today, which is, yep, about one of the most well-known and popular quote-unquote superfoods, the avocado. Okay, the dark side of avocados. (sighs) I'm excited and nervous. I know. It's actually, it's a pretty dark story, And there's not really a great solution or happy ending. And so, I mean, I guess that's why we're here, right? To talk about the darker side of the true crime in food. But anyways, sometimes it gets tough to read about. Mm -hmm. Okay. So today I'm going to be telling you all about how the rise of the avocado industry has created a new avenue for criminal activity driven by cartels in Mexico and how they brutally target avocado producers and distributors. Mm -hmm. But first, I want to know, growing up, did you eat avocados?
0: No. This is funny that you asked this question because I was thinking, I think it was yesterday or earlier today, all my days blend together. Um, But (laughs) I was wondering when the first time I tried avocado was. Because I don't remember eating them as a kid, but I can't remember when I first started eating them.
2: So I kind of can. I'm pretty sure I know the first time I bought an avocado, I was in university the first time. Yes,
0: the first time I bought two was in university.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I remember, I don't know, just being like, how do I eat this? Like I cut it open, I just like spooned it, and I was like, this is kind of gross. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, growing up, we would have like guacamole at our local Mexican restaurant, but avocados were not, certainly not something that we purchased, and I Mm -hmm. don't even think they were available at grocery stores uh, when I was a kid. Probably not in the Sioux or T-Bay. Yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> okay. So, some stats about avocado growth over the past decade. So, in Canada in 2010, the average per capita availability of avocados was just under a kilogram per year, which is about a thousand grams. So, I had some avocados in my kitchen and I weighed them. And on average, an avocado from my kitchen <laughs> weighed <laughs> 133 grams. So that's about 7.5 avocados available per capita in the year 2010. Okay.
0: okay. Was this a, was this a small avocado? They were small. Small, okay. They were smaller avocados. So 7.5 small avocados per person per year in 2010? Available in available. 2010. I know okay. it's kind
2: of a weird stat, but that's how many were available to Canadian consumers on average per person in 2010. Okay, I follow. (laughs) By 2019, that had risen to just under 2.4 kilograms, which works out to about 18 avocados per year per person available, or Mm -hmm. a nearly 240% increase in availability. Okay. So whether we were eating them or not, there was a massive increase in the avocado market in Canada over that span of less than 10 years. Yeah. And then also in 2019, Canada imported 95,000 metric tons of avocados up from just 36,000 metric tons in 2010. So again, we're seeing a massive increase in this span of about 10 years. Okay. Quick question for you. Yes. How many avocados do you eat a week? Uh, I honestly don't buy them very often. I only buy them if I touch them at the grocery store and they're like perfect, ready to eatness. Mm -hmm. But if they're hard, I I don't usually buy them. A week, like one maybe.
0: Okay. I was going to say I'm probably like one to three. Yeah. Every single week. Like I would say it averages out. Like some weeks are more than others. There's definitely weeks where I won't have them. But we'll often go to like Costco or something and get like one of
2: the bags of them. Totally. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't love avocados. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I like them. Like I need them to be paired with another texture or I cannot stomach an avocado. Like I'll never just have a plain slice of avocado, but like a guac with a chip mm-hmm. or a crunchy piece of toast and avocado. I can do that. I like it. It tastes good, but straight up avocado is just not for me.
0: No, I do get that. I w- I don't eat them with a spoon and I think it's because it it does kind
2: of have like a buttery texture I know but that's not even it it's like the actual flavor is so bland but yet there's something there and then sometimes there's those like little strings in them I hate the strings (laughs) I hate the strings and so it's just I don't know it's a texture thing combined with like a complete lack of flavor for me it needs to be mixed with like seasoning lemon garlic everything and then I like avocado toast all right all right (laughs) all right Um, So why did avocados become so popular so quickly? In the early 1900s, the avocado was actually called the alligator pear due to its rough skin, dark-colored skin, and it was both unappetizing and a little misleading. Mm -hmm. So a group of farmers got together in 1915, and they collectively decided to rebrand the alligator pear as the avocado. However, avocados still were pretty mysterious to people during most of the 20th century. They were a fruit, but they weren't sweet. They had this leathery skin. They'd go brown really quickly, and you couldn't really cook them. And of course, the low-fat trend of the 90s was not kind to the avocado, which is rich in nutritious, unsaturated fats.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So struggling to improve the avocado image the California Avocado Commission hired a PR firm called Hill & Knowlton who found a way to make the avocado the star of the Super Bowl. What? Yeah. January was the ideal time for perfectly ripe avocados. And so in the early 90s, I couldn't find an exact date on this, even though I searched uh, quite a few websites. But in, in, I think, the early 90s, the PR company created This guacamole bowl idea, where they got popular NFL players to share their favorite guacamole recipes during the Super Bowl. And they passed out samples of guacamole to players, fans, and reporters. And it totally worked. Guac was the talk of the town. Sales increased and its crop value spiked rapidly. And in 2018, over 100 million pounds of avocados were eaten by Americans on Super Bowl Sunday alone. (laughs) That's shocking. I thought you were going to say in a year or something. (laughs) I know. No. Future editing Sarah here. We're just about to jump into the tough part of the story. And I wanted to pop on to say that the overview that I give of the cartels in Mexico barely scratches the surface of what is a massive, complex issue with a lot of history and politics and dynamics that I could only barely touch upon with a couple hours of research. So... Please keep that in mind during this segment of the episode. And I also have to apologize in advance for my pronunciation. (laughs) I did practice a lot using Google pronunciation, but I really crumbled during my storytelling and lost some of that finesse required to pronounce the Spanish names. And with that being said, let's get into it. Where are all these avocados coming from to meet this growing demand? avocados are a tropical fruit. They do not grow well in Canada. So 95% of our avocados actually come from Mexico, Mm -hmm. which produces over a third of the world's avocado supply. Within Mexico, the state of Michoacan is the primary avocado producer, supplying 92% of the total Mexican avocado production. According to the Wall Street Journal, Michoacan is the source of four of every five avocados sold in the U.S. Hmm. Okay, so before we get into the dark downside of avocado production, I'm going to give you a brief background on Mexican drug cartels. Oh, yeah, exciting! You didn't never know what you're going to get. <laughs> So according to the Council on Foreign Relations, Mexican drug cartels are the leading supplier of heroin, cocaine, and opioids like fentanyl in the United States. And these cartels fuel all sorts of violence and extortion within Mexico, contributing to an average of about 30,000 homicides each year. In 2018, there were actually 36,000 homicides. And in 2019, that trend continued with approximately 90 murders every single day. Wow. Astounding. Those that are staggering of- numbers. Yeah. Mexican authorities have been waging a massive anti-drug campaign since 2006, which was kick-started by former Mexican President Felipe Calderón with something called Operation Michoacán. This was the first large-scale deployment of federal troops against the cartel, and the conflict unleashed violence. And instead of getting rid of the cartels, it actually broke them up into, you know, from a handful of large cartels into dozens of smaller ones Hmm. that are actually more difficult to control and apparently even more vicious and violent than their predecessors.
0: Oof. Yeah. Sorry, this was in 2019?
2: No, that was in 2006. Oh, sorry, 2006. That this, like, massive campaign started and it was the first large-scale deployment of troops against the cartel. And it sort of worked in breaking up these larger cartels, but it backfired and then it made all these little cartels that are apparently more vicious and violent. I guess if you have more competition,
0: more mm-hmm. groups working against each other, yeah, I guess that would make sense. Yeah,
2: So as both Mexico and the United States began cracking down on illegal drugs, cartels began looking for legal commodities to focus their criminal activities on as a way to diversify their profile for long-term growth, like preying on the local economy. And this is where our friend the avocado comes in. So... The increase in both demand and retail price have made avocados a massive source of income for producers and distributors in Michoacan, Mexico. Hmm. Despite the relatively high cost of production, the avocado trade has been highly profitable due to the increased demand for exports from places like Canada, the United States, Europe, China, thanks to the avocado's rising popularity. Each year, the $2.4 billion avocado industry sustains thousands of hardworking Mexican families and has become so profitable for many that avocados are often called green gold. Mm. So there's, there is a positive side to this in that it's, it's brought a booming avocado industry to Mexican farmers. Mm-hmm. So of course, the cartels want a piece of this profit. And how are they going to get it? Extortion. Extortion is the practice of obtaining something, usually money, through force or threats. So one report I read said that at first the farmers actually welcomed the cartels, which seems like a bit of a strong word. So maybe they were more like, okay with the cartels being around because they were offering protection. So they were saying, we'll give you security for your families, we'll protect your land, we'll help you protect your valuable crops, and in return, we'll ask for this tax. And one report I read described the particular group in question would charge $250 a hectare for their protection services. Okay. I mean, I yeah, it's more of a partnership there, it sounds like. Totally. We'll give you this, you give us this, but... <laughs> It's estimated from 2009 to 2013, so over a four-year period, the cartels earned or stole, depending how you look at it, $770 million from the Michoacan avocado business, approximately $154 million per year. Hmm. But over time, they actually just stopped providing the protection services and still would charge the tax. And then when farmers didn't want to pay, they would become more and more threatening, and that's where the extortion comes in. Okay. Also, The Guardian reported in 2019 that up to four avocado trucks are stolen in Michoacan every single day. So they're also stealing product at the same time. So
0: four in this area?
2: Yes, in this state. Michoacan is a state. Sorry, yeah. State, okay. And it's like this, the concentrated hub of avocado production in Mexico. And... There's a lot of extortion and there's also theft. Jesus. Yes. Okay, so over the years, farmers and their families have been allegedly robbed, kidnapped, harassed, threatened, and allegedly murdered. And I say allegedly because most are unsolved. So according to the Washington Post, this is a quote, roughly 98% of violent crimes, including homicides, go unsolved in Mexico. 98. 98 So I read that and I was like, that can't that can't be true. But a non-governmental organization called Human Rights Watch reported that, quote, nearly all crimes go unreported, uninvestigated and unpunished in Mexico. Mexican authorities resolve only about one percent of crimes, including police abuse. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, that's essentially all crimes.
2: I know. Why would you even report? Almost. It feels fruitless. Yeah. Yeah, that's an extremely low clearance rate for crimes, and um, that also contributes to the problems. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one of the most well-known and completely horrific crimes that is possibly related to the cartel and their involvement in the avocado trade— occurred in August 2019. So here's your warning. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear something that's totally, totally terrible. Oh, my God. In Urwapan, which is a major avocado hub in Michoacan, residents woke up one morning to 19 bodies on the street, nine of which were hung from an overpass. And I'm not going to go into the details, but some were partially stripped of their clothing. Some were dismembered. Oh no. um, it was a terrible, horrific scene. So a local cartel, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, took credit for the carnage and they hung a sign over the scene that read, kind people, go on with your routine, be patriotic and kill Viagras, which is another local gang. Okay. Yeah. So some think that this awful crime is actually just linked to local drug activity, but a researcher for the International Crisis Group named Falco Ernst told The Guardian that he believes that it is the lucrative avocado industry that was the target.
0: So, like, are we aware of who the victims
2: were? I couldn't find the names of the victims. Oh. Oh, boy. Okay. And I also couldn't find any information on, like, a resolution in this crime. Like, it doesn't seem like anybody's been charged.
0: Or, yeah, just, like, nobody's been held accountable.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's really sad. Very sad and possibly linked to the avocado industry, and I think that like a big when I was researching this, it's I think it's very challenging to to tease, you know, was this specifically avocado or was this drug related or the cartels have their hands in so, pretty much anything profitable mm-hmm. It could be anything from bottling factories to like tortilla shops, all sorts of things, yeah, so it's hard to tease apart. but the avocado industry in this particular town, Coroapão in Michoacan is like a huge avocado hub, right? And I,
0: I know we talked about this a couple episodes ago, just about how crime often does surround things that become profitable. Yeah, um, that's where most food fraud and stuff comes comes from, and totally it sounds like it's something very similar here.
2: Yep. So it's not just um, avocado farmers who are at risk here, but individuals with. Competing interests against the avocado industry may also be at risk. Homero Gomez Gonzalez and Raul Hernandez Romero were an environmental activist and a tour guide at the El Rosario Butterfly Reserve in Michoacán, where millions of monarch butterflies would travel each year. Homero Gonzalez had been an activist his entire life, and it was his efforts against deforestation that actually led to the establishment of this monarch sanctuary. Which is actually a UNESCO heritage site. So, both men were found murdered within the span of a week, showing the danger that can come along with being a conservationist in a region that has a vast expanse of protective land that can be considered a competing business interest for illicit avocado production. The thought is that this was a target because they were protecting all of this land, which could be better used, I guess, for avocado production. Mm. So avocados actually grow in, like, they prefer a forested area, like okay. a the forested type of, I'm not sure if it's the soil or if they need the shade, but avocado production leads to a lot of deforestation because that, that's the soil that they prefer.
0: So do you have to, like, deforest the area in order to produce avocados, or are avocados growing within the forest?
2: You have to deforest the area. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Which is another critique of of avocado consumption, but not the one we're covering here. <laughs> but yeah, so this protective site in this particular state, which is the, you know, the main place where avocados are produced in Mexico, is quite possibly targeted because of, you know, they have control over this land.
0: That's so unfortunate. It sounds like such a peaceful place like a butterfly totally. sanctuary.
2: I know. And I saw, I have some pictures that we'll post on the Instagram, but like just the nicest looking guy at the most adorable mm-hmm. butterfly sanctuary. And like, it was such a beautiful place. And millions of monarchs every year. Is it still standing the sanctuary?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: That's good. Yep. Happy to hear that. Happy to hear that. Yeah. It's a, it's a UNESCO heritage site. So it is really protected. Mm-hmm. Okay. So while there's not actually an established link, again, between avocado cartels and the butterfly sanctuary murders, which is no surprise given the clearance rate for crimes in Mexico, one article on Wall Street International claimed that, quote, the cartel strategy is simple. Murdering those who are dedicated to maintaining these sanctuaries will cast fear and distinctly impair the established tourist economy, providing them with the insidious opportunity To expand their vile economic ambitions. Hmm. So it's a loaded quote, but it's basically just saying they're trying to scare people from opening up more sanctuaries. They're trying to impair the tourist economy and essentially gain control of some of this land so that they can continue to grow avocados. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's important to note that the victims of cartel harassment feel like they don't really have anywhere to go. So, according to an organization called Human Rights Watch, There's widespread corruption in the police system in Mexico. So many avocado producers have turned to the creation of vigilante self defense groups or auto defenses to fight off the criminal groups. So think groups of farmers, growers, small business owners, conservationists, banding together to create systems to protect their land Mm -hmm. or their farm or their territory. But there are even reports of corruption infiltrating these groups as well so you know the groups are formed they have the best of intentions and then they realize there's profit to be made here and corruption sort of infiltrates so either they start to engage in criminal acts themselves or someone from a gang will infiltrate that group and kind of like join it and then corrupt it from the inside out sort of thing yeesh i know it feels like it's such a wicked problem, like in the public health sense of the term wicked problem, where it's so complex and it's so layered and it's it feels almost impossible to solve because of all the moving parts and different players and different levels of corruption and power. For
0: sure. And it sounds like a lot of things would need to change in order to make this a better situation for everyone.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Because we're seeing human rights abuses through theft, extortion, murder. We're seeing socioeconomic inequality that allows the cartels to thrive. And we're seeing police corruption. So there's no one to turn to. And at the same time, environmental exploitation, degradation. Um, yeah, it's not great. Mm. So as someone who has a bag of avocados in her kitchen right now. Samzie's. What can we do? (laughs) What can we do as avocado consumers? Do we just stop buying avocados completely? But then how do we support all these hardworking, honest avocado farmers? Mm -hmm. That would just hurt them even more. So like I said, the problem is so much greater than avocados. The cartel is involved in everything from drugs to forestry to little tortilla shops to basically anything that's Exploitable or profitable in some way. Mm -hmm. And so, if we were all to boycott avocados, the avocado trade would be less profitable and the cartels would probably just shift their focus to another business that they could exploit, whether it's like mezcal, mangoes, strawberries, limes, whatever. Mm -hmm. According to Adrian Matai in an opinion article for The Guardian and another opinion piece by Ian Grillo for The New York Times. One of the best things that we can actually do for the Mexican avocado industry is work towards tightening up American gun laws. Interesting. I know. I was like, first of all, I was like, I don't, I didn't think I'd ever talk about gun laws on the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but also I was surprised to read that. So one of the main reasons that cartels are able to extort farmers so effectively is because they have these massive guns that are purchased legally in the States and then smuggled into Mexico. Is that really? hmm So they're from the States? They're from the States, yeah. Huh. So according to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, a very large portion of the guns recovered from cartels are purchased in U.S. stores, and there are estimates that suggest nearly a quarter of a million guns illegally cross into Mexico each year. What? Yeah.
0: Wow, it is so crazy to think that American gun laws can have this much effect on another country. I know totally. that us in Canada we experienced some of the downfalls from it as well, especially
2: mm-hmm.
0: in like the GTA, like the sorry, the general Toronto yep. area
2: and whatnot, but man, that is a lot. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. So in theory, strengthening gun laws could maybe do more than than saying goodbye to your avocado toast and guacamole. But as consumers, if you really want to make sure you're not supporting the cartels, just don't buy drugs. That's a good uh, rule of thumb from your future dietitian. (laughs) So there are reports that some restaurants have have actually cut out avocados from their menus in response to the violence in Mexico. But if cutting back on avocados is something you really want to do, then by all means, stop the guac. But it's unlikely that it will actually impact the avocado trade. Mm -hmm. And while I wish I could give a nice, neat, quick answer to wrap up this episode about how we can solve the wicked problems of farmer exploitation and environmental degradation and all of those things, it feels a little beyond my scope of practice. So that's it. That's where I'm going to leave you with avocados and green gold. Wow, you covered that
0: so well. I feel like I was very naive before this. I honestly love, I love this podcast so much, if only, like, (laughs) for selfish reasons, because I feel like I get to learn so much
1: from your stories
0: and, like, from my research and whatnot. So this was actually, this was really fascinating to learn about. Yeah.
2: You taught me stuff, too. I love this podcast for the same reason. Like, every (laughs) episode, I'm like, who knew?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it is, it's clearly a depressing, Mm -hmm. depressing scenario, depressing stories. But I think it is important for people... To know and understand. And you didn't offer yeah. like a, a quick solution, but it does sound like there are some things that contribute to yeah. the issues that could be tightened up.
2: Mm-hmm. I have the bag of avocados in my kitchen. I have to use them tonight. They have like 30 seconds till they go brown, basically. <laughs> Sounds like it's going to be a guac and chips night. It's actually going to be a guac and chips night. <laughs>
0: I honestly love that when you have like three or four avocados and you touch them and you're like, oh crap, got to use
2: these. Got to make guac. (laughs) Dang it. Got to make a margarita because it goes with guac.
0: (laughs) Okay. So for your teaser question for the next episode, what is the last thing that you cooked in a frying pan? Ooh,
2: I honestly can't remember, but I (laughs) eat my best guess and it's probably right is that it was eggs because I make eggs in a frying pan nearly every day. Most
0: days, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's probably what it was. I feel like I could just go onto your Instagram and tell you what it was. And tell you what it was, <laughs> yeah. What was the last thing you made in a frying pan? Um, I guess it wasn't in a frying pan, but I made like a little curry last night and it was like in – Nice. It was more of like a pot, but I used it as a frying pan.
2: Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Yummy. All right. So that's your teaser for next episode. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of dietetics after dark. You can find all the references and materials used to put this podcast together in our show notes at thenutritionjunkie.com slash dietetics after dark. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate review and subscribe to our show. For more information, follow us on Instagram at dieteticsafterdark. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at dieteticsafterdark at gmail.com.
2: This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about Earworm Radio at earwormradio.com.